Well, my grandmother uh, has been uh, gone for almost uh, 40 years now, but she was a big part of my life from childhood up into my 20s. She was my go-to when I needed a big hug or an even bigger dose of love. As a widow for many years, she committed herself to her three grandsons, and one thing that made her unique was that she believed that it was her job to take each of us on trips to expose us to the world. And while not a wealthy woman by any means, she saved and saved and took each of her grandchildren on trips. She decided to take me to a variety of places, including India and Nepal in 1974. And aside from the amazing sights, the deep history, and the profound spiritual nature of the area, perhaps it was stepping over deceased bodies in the streets of New Delhi and being surrounded by destitute children that had the biggest impact on me as a young teen. Some of those glimpses of the effects of extreme poverty remain with me to this day. On the flight home from that trip, I'll never forget looking out the window of the plane. For just a moment, a very brief moment, I caught a glimpse of Mount Everest, and it was magnificent and struck me as a reminder of God's powerful creative nature. And while the sight took my breath away, it lasted for such a short period of time, not only because I was on a plane, but because clouds quickly surrounded the peak, obscuring the view. I'll never forget those few short seconds when I caught a glimpse of that astonishing peak. As I think about this, it strikes me that catching a glimpse of something is part of what it means to be a human being. And my hunch is that each of us here today have had glimpses of the terrible and the wonderful in our lives. And once in a while, perhaps we even catch just a glimpse of how things should be in our world like a mom and dad at a playground with no phone in sight pushing their little daughter on a swing, or a couple speaking words of understanding and compassion finally forgiving each other for hurts long held within, or a grumpy old man saying, I'm sorry, to a friend, or a group of people from a church handing out bottles of water to homeless folks on the streets of L.A., or a deep depression lifting following years of despair, or a one-year anniversary of having had the last glass of scotch. There's a great tune from the country singer Leanne Womack titled, There Is a God, maybe you know it. Here's some excerpts of the lyrics. Try and put your arms around a hundred-year-old tree. Climb up on a horse and let it run full speed. Watch a flock of birds against the morning sun. Close your eyes and listen to the river run. Catch a firefly in your hand or a raindrop on your tongue. Plant a seed and see what comes out of the ground. Find the heartbeat on your baby's ultrasound. You hear the doctor say he cannot explain it, but the cancer is gone. And while there's more, the lyrics I shared not only express the presence of God, but they give us a glimpse of how things should be, should always be. And once in a while, if we pay attention, we get glimpses of the good, the right, the just, the peaceful, and the loving. And when Jesus walked the dirt roads of Israel, he gave us glimpses of how things should be. 
Here are just a few examples of what he had to say in paraphrased form about how things should be. Love your enemies. Forgive everyone. When you lose yourself, you will find yourself. Let go of power and ego. Treat others as you want to be treated. What matters most is where your heart is, not what's on the outside. Nobody's better than anybody else. Real wealth is grounded upon a relationship with me. Don't ever judge another human being. There is nothing to fear. Release fear and anxiety. Give all your burdens to me. Travel lightly. There's nothing God cannot deal with. Never look down upon another human being. How you treat people who have nothing is a measure of how you treat me. Those who feel they are on the outside are actually on the inside when it comes to God. Love God, love others, love yourself. Love is the bottom line and reflects the degree to which you are following me. The presence of God is within every person. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I pray that people will become one heart and one mind. And he said and taught, of course, so much more. And if we listen, really attend to Jesus' words, they all reflect how things should be. Jesus often spoke of something that he called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which basically both mean the same thing. And the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the time in which everything will be as it should be. When everything is right, all will be just. There will be no division, no evil, no hatred, but instead total and complete peace, unity, and love. And perhaps the prophet Isaiah long ago said it best when he wrote the following, One day the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, the little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest, but they will never harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. This image of Isaiah's and Jesus' life demonstrated the kingdom of God. That is, what one day God will bring about. One day God will bring this about. Count on it and trust it. Jesus also said something very interesting too. He would often say, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he meant was that as God in the flesh, he was giving the world a glimpse, just a glimpse of how everything will end up when it's all said and done. In essence, he was saying the kingdom of God is here, but not completely, just a bit. And that we can be part of that little bit before God's kingdom is brought to fruition. Said another way, we are living in in-between times between when the world was created and when everything will be as it should be. And so as this is the case, I have to ask, 
what about the meantime? What are we to do in this meantime period? Well, to help us get a look at it, let's look at our reading today from Luke. Jesus was in the midst of a big teaching. And in the verses, Jesus makes it clear that everything will be set right, that there will be justice, wrongs will be corrected. And how distressed he was that there was so much askew in the world even though he was there. He then, using the word baptism, refers to the fact he's going to suffer and die as he knows what is ahead for him in Jerusalem. And then he talks about how he's come to bring division and that even family members will be divided because of him. And then he echoes themes of a final time of judgment when everything will be made right. Now it's important to remember that in this teaching, Jesus is specifically talking here to his very close followers, despite the fact that there is a large crowd around. And while on the surface the words seem harsh, counterintuitive, and in fact the opposite of what we know about Jesus in the kingdom of God, strangely enough, I believe he was trying to encourage those who were closest to him. Jesus' disciples by this point had been through a lot. They'd been with Jesus, they'd seen him heal, they'd heard him teach, and they witnessed how terribly people treated him. They were also living in a world as we do with day in and day out injustice. In response to all of this, in essence, Jesus says, things are brutal, I know that. Things are not as they should be. A lot of people are hurting. Much is not right. So many people are self-absorbed and self-focused. They're not living lives of love, but don't worry. When it's all said and done, everything will be set right. I wish things were right right now, but they are not. And although this was very good news to Jesus' disciples, think what they had seen. Those in positions of social, political, and religious power at the time would have found Jesus' words threatening, especially when he refers to them as hypocrites. They would have found them threatening as they were quite happy with the status quo. As I reflect upon Jesus' words, I get it. While, while I was not a disciple of Jesus 2,000 years ago, I'm not happy with the state of many things in the world. But the good news is that one day justice will prevail and the kingdom of God will be fully at hand. Then in our reading, as mentioned, Jesus talks about division. He said people would be divided because of him. And in fact, he said he came to cause division. Well, what on earth is he talking about? Jesus knew, and he had experienced, and so had his disciples. He knew that not everyone would accept who he was or what he taught. He understood that not everyone wants to let go of power that not everyone wants to let go of the status quo of their lives. He also understood that love itself can be divisive. He himself was love. He understood that some people don't prefer love. Some people prefer control and power. Gaining, gaining, gaining. 
vengeance, retribution, status. He knew that was human nature and that love itself would be divisive. He got that for some people, when life is just dandy, people aren't necessarily looking for a change. And to follow Jesus and live into the kingdom of God means a huge amount of change for everyone, including you and me. That said, clearly causing division was not and is not Jesus' endgame, the kingdom of God is. But in the meantime, then, just like now, following Jesus causes division. And it's not that Jesus causes division. Rather, it's our human nature in response to love that causes division. Jesus wanted his followers to know they would experience division as a result of making the commitment to following him. And I believe Jesus said this to prepare them for what they were going to experience. One person writes, we cannot make a commitment to Jesus without it affecting the way we relate to friends and family members. And because our commitment to Christ shapes our values, our priorities, our goals, and behavior, it also forces us to change old patterns of life. Jesus was preparing his followers for this truth. Again, it, is not, again, it does not mean division is the goal, but rather that division is the side effect, at least for now, before the kingdom of God is realized and everything is as it should be. The great writer Fred Craddock, Craddock wrote, to turn toward a person or a goal or a value means turning away from another. When we make a commitment to one thing, it may separate us from other things. And I believe he is right, and this is the case in any subject area of life, including religion, or professing no religion, or relationships, or politics, or how we spend free time, the jobs we have, where we live, those choices, when we turn to something, we turn away from another. But here is the essential thing to remember. Division is never the goal, nor should we, if we follow Jesus, ever, ever inflame it, encourage it, or intentionally participate in it. Because divisions will not be part of the kingdom of God. Sorry to say, there will be no political parties, nations, borders, governments, denominations, ethnic identities, private property, courts of law, sports teams, or rich or, rich or poor in the kingdom of heaven. Just people living together like the lion and the lamb in a state of unity, peace, and love. For a moment, picture the most opposite people you know personally. Or even if you want to have some fun with this, picture people in the public sphere that are the most opposite from one another. Like it or not, they will be together in the kingdom of heaven, right next to you and to me. Now, the more Jesus taught and lived to give us a glimpse of God's kingdom, the more and more he experienced resistance, largely because of what love demands. Love demands that we yield, forgive, not judge, hold our tongues, accept, build people up, see what we have in common more than what we don't, self-sacrifice, embrace selflessness, and live by a set of values that will set us apart. And when we choose to make our lives about love, we will be set apart from those that make alternative choices 
and that's the way it is, and that's the division that Jesus was talking about until the kingdom of God is realized. So back to the question. What are we to do in the meantime? How does Christ call us to live in these in-between times? How are we to respond to the divisions we experience in our daily lives? Well, perhaps what we are called to do in our good and bad and certainly divided culture, perhaps what you and I are each called to do is to give everyone around us a glimpse of the kingdom of God and what things are supposed to look like through our actions, our words, our silences, and our inactions. Maybe what we are called to do is to tend to our hearts so they don't become hardened or harsh or critical or mean or venomous or divisive or reactive or even paranoid, but rather so they become more and more like the heart of Jesus. And could it be that the rubber meets the road point of all of this is to understand that, yes, we're in a tough and rough world. That's been the case since the beginning. To know that while this is the case, there is an absolute point to our journey, meaning to being alive at this time and a purpose to which you and I are called. And that purpose, I believe, for all of us, with intention, is to give people day in and day out around us glimpses of how things should be. So how do we give people and ourselves glimpses of how things should be and will be one day? How do we help people experience glimpses of the kingdom of God? Well, fundamentally, I believe we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to internalize his teachings so that they flow all over our lives and they shape who we are. And we need to be very intentional about how we show up in the world each and every day. It means that we sometimes need to act, sometimes not react, speak up, sometimes hold our tongues and take an honest look in the mirror of what is it that I'm giving a people a glimpse of by my presence? If we are giving people glimpses of God's kingdom, then the essence of who we are and how we show up will reflect Paul's words. The essence of how we show up will reflect joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, and love. It means our lives and our actions and words will reflect Jesus and all he taught. And so today I'm going to close with some questions. Questions that you can only answer for yourself. Questions that I can only answer for myself. But here they are. When I look in the mirror and I'm honest, honest with myself, in every domain of life, every domain of life, does my life and how I show up give people a glimpse of Jesus? Does my life and who I am give people a glimpse of how things should be when it's all said and done?
Does my life and how I show up give people a glimpse of the love of God? Tough questions. Hard questions. But then so too is following Jesus. So I invite us all to take ourselves and our faith and our commitment to Christ seriously and to ask ourselves, just what is it we are giving people a glimpse of? And let us pray.